Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Client Blue Podcast. My name's Dan Rowlandson and we're live for a very special episode of Inside Bodymore. It's transfer deadline day, so I was worried that we'd film this, post it, edit it, and realise that things we've said are out of date. So we're doing it live. My notifications are going off. Things might go a little awry throughout this episode because live streams tend to do that. Uh, I'm joined by John Townley. John, how are you? I'm good, mate. Very busy. Busiest day of the year for us, isn't it? But I'm doing well, mate. Enjoying it. We did a video earlier today for the UECL draw. Me and James Rushton watched it together on BT Sport or TNT Sport and gave our live reactions to that draw. Uh, that video is available on the YouTube channel if you want to go and see us. Uh, that's worth a watch. Uh, we heard that today, though, to talk about Unai Emery's press conference. Uh, we'll also touch on deadline day, as I mentioned, and uh, it's Liverpool away on Sunday. Big, big game, big test for Villa. What was uh, Emery like at the presser today, John? Yeah, he was well. He came in... <laughs> about 30 seconds after Villa completed their group. So was okay. it... I, I can't remember the team, the last team. Hold on, let me just quickly... Oh, you're asking me a question I should know the answer to. I know it's HSK. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm looking at it, but it's harder to pronounce now. <laughs> HSK, hmm, Mostar in Bosnia. So that's... Yeah, he came out after that, um, after the draw. And he, yeah, he was fine, uh, all good... Martinez back in training as we'll go on to so it's a bit a bit more positivity in today's press conference I forgot what happened last week but I think I get the feeling that there was a there was an issue for some reason maybe it was Martinez's injury I don't know um, but yeah looking forward to Liverpool at the weekend as is Unai and the players no doubt it's a big big test for Villa but as we'll speak later in the podcast Dan, there's a lot happening at Liverpool at the moment that yeah. will take their attention away from playing Aston Villa at home presumably and the fans as well obviously with the the most Salah uh, news or developing news as it, um, as it will unfold on deadline day maybe in the days to follow as well so I always ask you this and generally speaking it gets cut out of the podcast because we just think oh, it wasn't really worth it so you need to give me a good answer for it uh, and Chris actually says exactly what I was going to ask what did you have to eat John at Bodymore, what was the food this afternoon? They had a tray of, uh, I think it was chocolate chip cookies, which okay, were really nice. nice. I had two of those because that was my lunch today because it's deadline Standard. day. And um, what was their deadline? Baco tarts, I think, which is really okay. good. Like you, seriously, they they do treat you well at Bodymore. Um, and a bottle of water. So yeah, that was my that was my lunch, and I don't know when I'm gonna have my dinner. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a busy day. I remember the good old days when I first started at the company. Deadline day was generally a thing that you, I mean, obviously you'd work in the office because there was no such thing as homework in them before COVID. Um, but deadline day in particular was a day where you do a long shift, normally midday till midnight, uh, and you get pizzas in the office on expenses oh. that whoever was boss at the time, so Matt Kendrick back then, uh, I mean, he wasn't paying because it was the company, but we'd get like yeah. food allowance and they ordered a load of pizzas and Domino's. And I remember being so excited for my first deadline day. Uh, I tweeted this first thing this morning. That this is my eighth deadline day for the company since. And I know that they're not as exciting as I thought they were back then. Uh, we signed Borgia Baston on that on that deadline day. That I was so excited for my what, first one. Yeah. What's weird about deadline day as well, like we're going off here, but um, Villa, I don't think I've ever really had like a particularly like super busy deadline day, like Forest today of like the yeah. selling John bringing in a few players like that's hectic and Villa might only sign one player today maybe more who knows but it's still really busy and from the outside it probably doesn't I don't know like oh Villa only signed one player let a few go you know but there's just lots to do um yeah from, today, from a work perspective we are busy even if Villa don't look massively busy is yeah, what you're saying today 
today even more so with obviously the draw press conference. Yeah. So yeah, busier than usual. Yeah, mad, mad times. Uh, a few people asking me in the comments about whether my chicken was all right, and I have to clarify for people who have not seen the UECL draw video that we did. We did it live, but we pre-recorded it to post afterwards because me and James filmed for 45 minutes because the draw was so long-winded. No, I, I'd put a chicken in in the oven to get it ready for tea time because, like you said, you've not had your dinner yet, whereas wow. I have because I've been a bit more prepared. I put a chicken in the oven this afternoon and my timer on my phone went off during the draw for the chicken was done. So I had to run downstairs, get it out. And I was going to cut it out because we weren't live. But as I was gone, we drew Ledger Warsaw in the in that, that was the name that came out in Villa's pot. So James was doing it on his own and I came back and said, have I missed anything? And he's like, yeah, we've got Warsaw. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to leave in the chicken bit now to explain why I wasn't on the street enjoying that time. Oh, anyway, oh, right. the chicken was fine. It was lovely. I had it with pasta and tomatoes. Anyway, um, let's did talk. Did anyone ask for your dinner, by the way? I don't know if it was just mine. <laughs> no, no, that, that's it. No, I had like a little pepper pasta dish with tomatoes <laughs> and chicken. It was very nice, if I do say so myself. Injury update, John. Back to Villa. Uh, yep. The last last time we did one of these, it was all about Emi Martinez missing out. He's returned to training. Is is the new? He'll still be assessed ahead of Anfield on Sunday. Uh, talk talk me through that a little bit. Yeah, so trained today. Obviously, wasn't in the match day squad against Hibs, but I don't think that was a surprise anyway. I don't know why he would be put on the bench if he was fit anyway. So trained today at Bodymore this morning. They've got another training session tomorrow, which is the final one before they uh, make the trip to Anfield. Uh, made a trip to Liverpool, sorry, and yeah, he'll he'll be assessed then. So hopefully, Emery says that he'll be available to play. I think it's a big uh, a big boost that he was in training today, though, I'd, and he's presumably come of that come out of that, sorry, unscathed because the um, the injury update Emery would have given today would have been that he's you know a doubt or whatever it may be yeah. if he didn't come through uh, today's session at Bodymore. Um, so that's a positive, a huge positive, really, because I mean I'm not going to go into the Robin Olsen stuff again because you know we all we all know there's going to be a drop off if Emi Martinez isn't playing. Whoever plays instead of um, instead of him, but it gives us a huge boost heading into the weekend against Liverpool side who um, haven't lost or have lost once, sorry, in two seasons at Anfield, which is just remarkable. Um, so yeah, I think Villa can give him a really good game. So Martinez, if he plays, massive boost. Bertrand Traore is injured again. That's, again why he yeah. missed, that's why he missed the game against um, Hibs on Thursday last night. Uh, Tim Rubin was training uh, by himself at the moment because of an injury. Uh, Alex Moreno and Jacob Ramsey obviously still out at the moment. Mm. Just talk to me about that Hibs game very quickly. I know this is off topic. You were there last night for for that game we were saying before uh, in the, was it the Monday show that we did. Must have been that you were kind of saying this Hibs game is largely pointless because Villa are already through kind of thing. Yeah. Played a stronger team than maybe some would have expected given the scoreline, but I don't think Villa have that much room for rotation to play no. 11 kids. Um, so it's still a pretty relatively strong side. What was a kind of standout moment? I don't want to go in-depth on the game just because of we won 8-0. We all know it was a foregone c- conclusion. Um, who's kind of like the standout for you from that night? I think my takeaway from it would be... Uh, John Duran, actually. Um, mm. Shout out to Amari Kellerman, who's only 17. Uh, yeah, and I think, it. you know, you, you can't expect the world from those players, but the experience he would have had last night, even though it was against Hibernian, um, who maybe are comparable to maybe a League One side, I don't know. But what he gets from playing at Villa Park in front of, I presume it was about 40,000 last night, that's an experience that not many players will get. And it's, I think it helped that there was no pressure in that game either. He could basically mm. play in front of 40,000, get a feel for it. Um, Villa's first European game back at Villa Park for 13 years. And he's a part of it for... Did he come off? I don't think he came off, did he? I think it was 90 minutes for him. I can't remember. So, it's been a long 24 hours, mate. So, yeah, I mean, I can't... I don't know what I was doing at 17, but it wasn't playing in front of 40,000 at Villa Park. <laughs> so, fair play to him. He only joined the club last year as well from Derby, obviously. Uh, and he played well. He played really well in pre-season too. He's, he's mm. got that sort of... I don't know whether it's a Deli Ali sort of um, feel about him, but he's he's a good size for his age, for a start, and he seems to kind of ghost around, not not mm. as a negative, but he get, gets into good positions, yeah, picks yeah, the yeah. ball up well, links play, uh, and again he's seventeen. You know, you'd be saying the same thing if he was three or four years uh, older than what he is now. So, yeah, fair play to him. But uh, just on John Duran, I, th- I don't know whether some fans kind of I don't want to say criticise him, but they have, I don't know. 
I feel like he gets a bit of a tough time sometimes because he's the backup to Watkins and he's only 19. So I think people need to remember that he's only 19 and top strikers won't develop uh, until they're 23, 24 sometimes. So his years behind in terms of where Villa probably want him to be or in, in terms of backup for Watkins. Yeah. Um, but I really like him. I, I've As soon as he came on um, in those games last season, he just gets around. He causes some issues and problems. He crashes the bar against Man City at the Etihad. He's, he has no sort of... Um, I don't know. He's got loads of confidence and nothing seems to phase him. Obviously, he took mm-hmm. his goal quite well. I don't know what David Marshall was doing, but he made a good run. Uh, the yeah. goal against Everton, yes, it was a bit of a dodgy touch, but a good finish as well, considering um, the touch that he took. But I like him. I really like him and maybe Villa could have a more senior backup and Emery did say he wants two players per position and then youngsters underneath. Unless he views the runners that um, he's not senior, but unless he views him as sort of that good to uh, play back up to Watkins, I don't know, but I like Duran a lot, and I think he's got a lot going for him. He's obviously left-footed, which um, is unique. He, I think he's quick. He's quite powerful for his age as well. He's he's banging people over all over the place, which he probably needs to cut out a little bit. Like in the first few minutes, Tillemans goes um, goes through the midfield, has a shot, and it's blocked. Uh, but it's given us a foul because Duran's like bundled someone someone in the box, and yeah. But I like him. I think Duran's probably my main takeaway from that game because there's, there's not a lot else to talk about really from it. Yeah, you mentioned that goal. The the keeper rushing out made the decision for him, didn't it? It's still a good finish, but well, it shouldn't even have to be shooting from that position because the keeper shouldn't be in that position in the first place. The ball from Pau Torres, though, is delicious, isn't it? That, to, yeah. to put that through on a plate for him. Uh, we'll see a bit more of that throughout the season, I'm sure. Uh, there was a few comments on social media actually like comparing I don't know whether this is accurate or not. I'm not quite sure. I've seen enough of him yet, but I kind of get the same vibe. Comparing John Duran with a, a young Christian Benteke. Now, I don't think he's as physical he is oh, physical, but Benteke was broad and big, and I think he was probably taller, just off the top of my head. Um, but it has that kind of raw. There's something about John Duran. Is what you would say about him, yeah, yeah. exciting. I just uh, maybe it's just a snapshot of social media, but I just get the vibe that some fans aren't willing to be patient with him, and I get that mm. because we're looking and thinking, oh, well, Villa need a more experienced uh, backup or whatever it may be. But I, I really think there's a player in him. So there's a flight. Bit of a wild card, isn't it? That you, because no one yeah. really knows what to get from him. There's, there's something in there with, with Duran. Uh, US Quits there says, I love Duran's antics. And I said this on, on the show that we did earlier when he went to help up the, the Hibs player. And then as he reached out his hand, he pulled away and just walked off. Like, <laughs> I don't know why he's done that. It's totally, totally unnecessary, but it's just funny. And it will get the fans on side to go, oh, John Duran's a little cheeky. Little cheeky git, basically, and if he can play well and score goals, he would certainly become a fan favourite as time goes on. That's and John has become a bit of a Conference League hero yeah. for us because he'll play and minutes in that competition. Yeah, and we don't want to make this the John Duran show, so we'll stop in a minute. But like Keenan Davis, for example, who I actually thought was quite underrated at Villa in terms of obviously it's not the level that we need now, but when we were battling relegation and trying to get um, promoted, I thought he had something about him. He could hold up the ball, get into the channels, and use the ball well, in my opinion. But he lacked goals and he was never going to make it in the Premier League because of that reason. So with Duran, it's like a you need to see it to believe it. And if he's going to start adding goals, which he has done in the last two games, then yeah, hopefully he can add more confidence in the season and you know build those numbers because all of a sudden you've got a player there who's um, going to be 20 later this year or next year, I don't know. Um, yeah, I like him. It's exciting. Um, just while we're on the, the topic of the Conference League last night, you mentioned that Emery had come into the presser today after the uh, 30 seconds after the draw was concluded. He was obviously watching it. Um, did he, Was he asked about it? What, did he make any comment about the opposition that Villa have got? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not too much. I will, I'll be honest. Even Emery, um, who watches every game from probably every league every day, I don't think he will know too much about Legia Warsaw or uh, HSK, Mostar. But he did say that they need to respect those teams. And listen, Emery's won, I think, the second most UEFA titles in history or something like that. I think it's Trapattoni and Mourinho have won the most and it's Emery with other managers, maybe. So he knows what it takes to get through in these competitions and win them ultimately. And he just needs to um, put that into his players. He was also asked about, you know, fans are already starting to book their tickets for Athens. And he said straight away, that's a mistake. Like, he... he (laughs) said after it obviously they're doing it for the money in terms of it's much cheaper to book now than book when it's a week before the tournament uh the final but he, just, he doesn't want it yeah for hotels yeah uh, yeah but but it's that sort of feeling of let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet he said that we can't look like more than a week beyond us basically and he said that he wants to enjoy every every moment 
is a villa manager basically he wants to enjoy poland playing leggy war so he wants to enjoy playing out in uh, bosnia he wants to enjoy the matches at villa park because and i like that because you've got to, you have got to save at the moment and you've got to treat mm. every game on its own merits let's go to bosnia taking the match because villa haven't been there for 13 years or in terms of european football let's not look ahead to athens just yet yes there's a good chance we could get there but you have to earn the right to do it. And, yeah. and we'll win the tournament, by the way, if we do that, because we are the best team. We we just are. Yes, so the teams can come down and we'll see if it's a Brighton, Marseille or a um, the other team in their group, which has slipped my mind now, which is annoying. Who's the other team in their group? Do you remember? IK, IK no. Athens, Brighton. I can Google it if you oh. carry on. Brighton, Marseille. Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. But there's another team there who's quite... Ajax, there we go. Um, if one of those come down, then all of a sudden Villa have got uh, you know another sort of team that can go far in the tournament. She was saying that will be one of the favourites to win it, but I don't think it's being snobby to suggest that Aston Villa are by far at the moment the favourites. They just are. Frankfurt yeah. are losing their best striker. They lost Kamada as well. Lille, Villa are better than Lille, and you're looking anywhere else? Maybe Fenerbahce. Like, come on, we'll get there as long as we play it right. But it's that's the whole point. It's say it's staying grounded and winning the games yeah. that we're expected to win, and that comes with attitude, doesn't it? So, and I, I think the squad that we have are all sort of buying into that. A lot of our players haven't played in Europe, and the ones that have will know what it takes to go far. So, I think we're in a good place for it. Yeah. Um, so for for this show, we have away from match day where we talk about something that isn't Aston Villa versus Liverpool related, and that will be talk of the transfer window. So we'll hold off on that for a second. We have predicted eleven predictions for Sunday. We've got the opposition view, which is Theo Squires from the Blood Red podcast, which is a good kind of chunky ten minute segment, which I'll save for the very end. Um, so let's do predicted eleven first because I wanted to save the transfer window chat till a little bit later as well. Talk me through the lineup that you think Emery will go for on Sunday. I think Martinez will be okay because he's trying today. And I mm. think, um, you know, if, if, if there's a chance that he can play, I'm pretty sure he will because Liverpool's such a big game. And then it's the international break. So he's got two weeks off if he needs it. Obviously, he's been called up for Argentina as well. I'd be surprised if he made a change, actually, from the Burnley win. I, 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 w- I would suggest Mike Cash playing in that more advanced role would suit well against Liverpool just because he can then double up if needed mm. with concert almost, you know, as two right backs if you need it because they're so good on the wings, Liverpool, obviously. The two holding midfielders won't change. Kamara and Louise, Carlos, Pau Torres, concert Dean as the defence. And then the rest of it kind of picks itself. McGinn, uh, Moussa, Diaby and Watkins. I don't see how that team changes unless it's a Bailey for Matty Cash, but considering it works so well, Mm. against Burnley I don't know why you change it for Liverpool yeah Tielemans and Bailey played against Hibs last night which suggests that they wouldn't play on Sunday but have either of those done enough I know the level of opposition is vastly different but did either of those two do enough to maybe give Emery the headache of thinking well maybe Leon Bailey does deserve a start he did score again well so did Cash I suppose (laughs) (laughs) yeah there you go I mean, fair play to Cash. He was asked about um, Matty Cash and his versatility uh, in the press conference today and I'll be honest, I can't remember exactly what he said, but the quotes will be out tomorrow night, I think. They've been embargoed. So. But he's, he spoke well about Cash in terms of um, exploring what sort of player he was You know, when he first came to the club and obviously realised he played as a winger at Nottingham Forest. And we all were aware of that as fans, but it was just that we signed him after about one year, I think, playing as a right-back at Forest. So he he's not particularly experienced playing in that position. So um, he's almost learning on the job with Emery, I think, in that in that role but if you can play more advanced something that he's probably more used to um, or not more used to but as used to in some ways in his professional career then um, yeah, he's done well um, against Burnley and then against Hibs he got his goal so I'd expect him to start against Liverpool and Tielemans I'll be honest when he first joined we all said the same thing well, that double pivot isn't going to be um, you know you're not going to take Kamara or Louise out of that double pivot at any point in the season I don't think Louise is one of our best players and Kamara fulfills a role that no one else can in the squad so I'm not sure where Tillemans comes into that unless you change a formation and put him in a three midfield maybe but then you're mm-hmm. what you're doing with McGinn where does that leave a Bailey or Cash or you know, whoever else does that affect Diaby so at the moment it's very settled but over the course of the season we've got so many games we've got conference league games as well they'll get the chances and it's about yeah. um, using the whole squad isn't it 
Yeah, David Walters says, I like the 3-4-2-1 formation we played at Burnley. It offers a lot defensively and offensively. I think it's correct what you just said there, John, that if Villa are under the cosh, which let's face it, they will be at stages on Sunday, cash will drop in and become a back five and Kants will move slightly further over and, and, and defend like that. Uh, Michael says that Cash is playing with a lot of confidence. I think that's key for for players as well. If they're playing well and they've got confidence, you don't kind of disrupt that that rhythm for the sake of it unless you are in the latter stages of competitions and they have to be rotated. But if they're playing well, you, you don't disrupt it, is my opinion. Um should we do should we do predictions? Should we get it out of the way? Or do you get want to do the transfer stuff? I think predictions. Okay. Yeah, like I said, we are going to save the opposition view to the very end. So if you want to hear from a Liverpool expert, um, you'll have to wait to the end of the show for that. Let's do predictions then. Now, I've gone pretty big on the Monday show that we did and the post-match show we did against Burnley saying, look, I think Liverpool can be got at. Like, I think there's vulnerabilities there. And I've said that for two reasons. One, because I do believe it, because Emery has given me that belief that Villa can give anyone a game. And two, because I've got receipts now. If it does happen, I've said it <laughs> enough times, I can go back and find so many clips of me going, yeah, look, oh, here's me predicting Villa to get something. So I'm going to stick with what I've said. Um, every week so far, I've predicted Villa to win. Um, you've predicted us to win every game besides Newcastle, which you said was going to be a draw. I did get the Burnley game spot on with a 3-1 away win. I won't predict a Villa win this time because I'm going to go with my head a little bit. I think there'll be goals and I'm going to go with a draw. So I'll say 2-2. I think Definitely. Villa will score a couple of goals because we're good enough to do that. And Liverpool's defence does kind of give me... Um, confidence probably isn't the right word but that kind of belief that they can be got at and to be fair I've already recorded the bit with Theo yesterday and he was saying things that made me think I'm right here like they are worried about Villa so um, I think I think that's right to say that but it's Liverpool at Anfield they score goals um, so I'll go 2-2 that probably would have been my prediction as well to be fair <laughs> just on the the point you mentioned there about Liverpool fearing Villa Klopp has a lot of respect obviously for Unai Emery but also the team is built in the way that they play last season before the game he said some stuff after the game probably in the heat of the moment that wasn't particularly um, fair I think on Villa he said kind of blew them away in the second half and things like that even though they were leading for most of it if not all mm. of the second half and, until the yeah, very end of the game yeah. before they drew one all um but he said that Villa will compete for the Champions League the next season, being this season. He also said that they're like super competitive. Um, that they give 100%, 100% commitment. They're really well organised. They have lots of qualities. Speed on the wings. Ollie Watkins, he mentioned. John McGinn as well, he said, is really smart with the ball. He's not just physical and he likes to play. There's balls in behind. So Liverpool know what they're going to come up against. But can, as you say, Canate, Matip... Uh, Trent, can those players deal with DRB, Watkins, McGinn? Because I'm not trying to say that they're unstoppable. However, it's very difficult to stop McGinn (laughs) when he turns you and when DRB's running inside. Um, So, I mean, DRB, for me, is a player that Liverpool... I don't know how to put this because it's going to not... I know what you're saying. I've said exactly the same thing. That I mean, we're going to be talking about Salah in a second. Yeah. When we signed Diaby, I did a show with a Bundesliga expert, and he was sat. I said in that, like, you go yeah. back a couple of years, and Diaby, you kind of look at when Liverpool started to replace some of their front three with with Mane and Firmino, uh, yeah. Firmino going. You probably look at Diaby at that at that stage and go, he's a future Liverpool player. Like he fits that profile very well. If Salah. Well, we, we don't know yet whether he is going. It feels unlikely to me tonight for him to go, but if he does, he could. Uh, if Salah had gone at the start of this window before Villa had even signed DRB, again, you'd look at him and think he's very much a Liverpool profile player. So, firstly, yeah. I'm very, I feel very lucky and fortunate that we got DRB when we did. Yeah. Um, but he, he, he does cause massive problems for teams, and we've said this every game so far this season. Um, yeah, that Pau Torres, if you replace that Pau Torres ball for Hibernian last night, you can fully see Pau Torres slipping a ball behind a shaky Liverpool de- defence and Diaby running through his space and finishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we said before as well, because he played on the right wing for Leverkusen and it worked so well with Frimpong, I think other clubs or top clubs looked at it and thought, well, we can't quite see that it's going to work in you know for our team because as we said before, the top teams have quality everywhere. And for Villa, they wanted someone who would work with Watkins slightly inside. So he plays in a very similar way to what Salah would for Liverpool. Um, but the Salah dynamic's interesting anyway because... I don't know how that how he'll be received by Liverpool fans, not in a bad way, but like if he does 
wave or whatever. Liverpool fans don't think you're going to be like, oh, let's win this game for Salah. I think they'll be more like, I don't care about this game all of a sudden because it's huge if they lose Salah. It's massive. Mm -hmm. That's one of their best players ever. And it's Liverpool that we're talking about. So mentally, psychologically, I think it'll affect the players. It will affect uh, the fans as well in the stadium. So I think Villa can go there and say, I don't want to say causing up six, but we're not a League Two team in the FA Cup, but but at the same time, predicting Villa to win there, I think, is quite, uh, as I say, one loss in two years against Leeds, I think it was. So I'll predict, I'm not going to match it down, but I'll say three all instead, because I think there's going to be goals. And I think one all would, there'll be more than two goals, and I think it'll be a draw, and I don't want to match it. So three all. <laughs> okay, good. Well, me not matching you last week got me the points in our little prediction league. So maybe yeah. you've uh, done the reverse on me this week. Let's just talk about that Salah thing very, very broadly. Uh, reports that there's a, a 200 million pound bid on the way oh, for him, which is I, I think they'll get him. There, um, there's, Salah has a price, everyone has a price, and the Saudi league has tens of billions of pounds to spend. And salaries that's flagship for them, that's huge. Oh, of course, yeah. it, there's a reason why they've left it till deadline day. The whole world's watching it. If they did it yeah. on July the 20th, of course, it would be a huge story. But people like with the moves they've done for Mane for other players, you know, it's kind of fizzled out. Everyone cares about deadline day, and if Liverpool lose their biggest player um, without you know being able to replace him, that's uh, it's a big tick for the, the Saudi. That's the, thing the, the money is insane. If you're Liverpool and you get an offer for a 31 year old, as good as salaries, 200 million is absolutely ridiculous for any footballer. So you have to accept it. But I'm accepting not, it on deadline too, day, um, if you can't get a replacement, is balmy. I don't. I think you have to accept it though. You, there comes a point where the money's just 200 million for a player is that for a 31 year old yeah and what I would say as well Liverpool yes they're losing the best player but for that I'm with you don't get me wrong but I think they've got some class forwards anyway they could probably no, I don't know no, I, I think 200 million just sweeten it a little bit that's huge money especially for yeah, FFP they, next summer they can almost do what they like. like yeah, next summer they use the money in signing Bappe or whatever, you go, well, yeah, but, it kind of makes but, sense. But for, this, for this season right now, yeah, to lose your best player, and as much maybe as... They'll have some, maybe they'll have something lined up. I, mean, they could, I, I don't know Sorry. if they'd be targeting someone in Europe, but any team in Europe needs money. So if they go to a club and say, we'll offer 70 million for this winger, I don't know who, maybe they've got something lined up because... They seem to do that sometimes, and they they'd be stupid if they didn't see this coming. To be honest, it's the perfect signing for the Saudi league, Mo Salah. Yeah, and I agree with all that. But letting go of him for me, that's as much as you can replace him in January or, or next summer. Losing somebody like Salah on deadline day is the difference between Liverpool possibly pushing for the title and maybe finishing in the top four. I don't think you can replace somebody like him. Like yeah. if they replace him, oh, finish right. sixth or seventh. It's a bad is season. Yeah. He is irreplaceable, and they could offer him offer Liverpool, sorry, like four hundred million. I know the point you're making; they can't replace him, not now anyway. Um, I was struggle to replace him with the whole window. Never mind, they can't replace him on deadline day because yeah, yeah. no, the players. Him, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's mad. But again, for Villa's perspective, if he does go, that's a huge, huge boost for us for, yeah. for Salah not being available to Liverpool. No Van Dijk as well due to his red card last week against Newcastle. Just um, on that Saudi so league as well, down there. Yeah, Emery was asked about the Saudi League as well. Uh, again, embargoed quotes, so I can't really go into it too much and I can't read them anyway. Um, so that'll be interesting. I think they'll be up on the Birmingham Live site tonight, maybe tomorrow, we'll see. But it was interesting, again, in terms of he was asked what happens, because there's two weeks left of the window, what happens if they come after your players? So, yeah, some interesting quotes from Emery there. I don't know if they'd go after John again, but that'll be an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we do a away from match day in a set, we're going to talk about Villa transfers. I know we've just done a huge segment now on, on Liverpool and Salah, and it's not really relevant to Aston Villa, but we do play them, Nick, so that's why we're talking about it. And yeah, it's yeah. deadline day as well. We, we've got we've got lost in the hype. Just quickly, I can ask you a question that you might either not be prepared to answer or you don't know the answer to. About, not life, sure. About, no, sorry. If you don't want to answer it, just tell me to move on. It's about the workflow that you just mentioned there. Why is there embargoed quotes? What's the point of that? Because you know oh. stuff and you're saying, well, there's embargoed quotes, they'll be out later, but you can't actually tell us right now. Why Why is that a process? Why is that a thing? It's for the newspapers. So um, oh, okay. you get embargoes like 10.30 tonight for written journalists. So they can be in the newspaper tomorrow. So if we did... um. Uh, written stuff and it was available to go right away. You'd just get people put it on us, putting it all on social media. 
and there's obviously no money in that for newspapers so it's um that's why like broadcast section of a press conference is like live straight away because it's obviously on tv mm. but then the written sections kind of saved and pushed back um it's just you know business reasons i suppose okay fair enough right let's go away from match of them we've done enough talking about liverpool and like i said there was a big section at the end with a, an opposition reporter we're going to talk about transfers in a little bit more detail from the villa perspective coutinho philogene incomings outgoings what's happening let's do philogene very quickly actually because he came up in the comment section earlier it was reported what maybe 10 days ago or something that he was linked with a move to hull for five million with a buyback clause and it yeah. seemed pretty progressed at that stage that that was going to happen and Hull also interested in it turned out to be Keane and davis at the time who's now gone off to udinese which we'll talk about in a second what's happened with philogene has that just slowed down because of the buyback or are villa now thinking well if we lose coutinho to qatar maybe we need to keep philogene around not that I know of, no. Um, the hold-up... as a one with... quotes, is it? <laughs> no, don't worry. No, I mean, if I asked the... Tra- Honestly, if I asked the transfer question in the embargo section and it was... I could put it out with half an hour left of the window to go, that would be <laughs> my job very poorly. Um, no, like it was with Aaron Ramsey and uh, with Cameron Archer as well. It, it's the buyback. There's details about the buyback that... It, it's not as straightforward as Villa kind of clicking their fingers in two years and saying, all right, we'll have him back now for you know, 10 million or 12 million or whatever. I don't know the, the specifics of it, um, but it's because of this different stages of, you know, it could be that Villa have the first refusal on those players uh, or the price increases or whatever it may be later on down the line. So the, there's a lot of specifics to go into and yeah, it should be done tonight. Again, I, I'll have to chase it up because it hasn't been confirmed yet. As far as I know, I don't think it's been done. No, not yet. Half an hour. Um, but yeah, it has rambled on and it's one that I hope gets done because clearly uh, he isn't really in the plans. Of I mean, to say clearly isn't in the plan. He's not going to get the football he needs to progress as a footballer. And as far as we know, he is, you know, keen and happy to go to Hull to play. And I think he needs that. So yeah, hopefully it gets done. And again, five million for Villa. It might not seem like a lot, but this is a player who, before the pre-season, before he played a few, you know, Premier League Summer Series games. And yes, he played very well in. I don't think anyone thought he'd have a future at Villa with all due respect because he's a good player for his age. But I think the money he's getting, that there aren't championship clubs who can pay more than that these days. Mm. There just isn't. And if there's no Premier League interest in him or not much or not enough to warrant, um, you know, more than a £5 million sum, then there's not much Villa can do about that. So, yeah, it's about, you know, um, the... Supply and demand, I suppose you'd call it. If there's yeah. an interest, it depends what they want to pay for uh, pay for the player. Before we do Coutinho, let's do uh, Kenny Davis very quickly and a farewell to him, whose time at Villa has been up for what two seasons, three seasons maybe. He's always been on the verge of a move. It always ends up being a loan uh, to the Championship. He went to Watford, he went to Forest as well, of course, mm-hmm. while they were down there. Uh, interestingly, goes to Udinese, owned by the same family as Watford. Now, I don't know whether that's going to be a, a permanent thing, whether that's a kind of a, me speculating a, a way to get around FFP or league rules or whatever, that he goes to Udinese for a year and then goes to Watford for a, a five-year deal or whatever from them, I kind of move between yeah. clubs, whether that's allowed or not. Um, but it seems a very random move to go to Udinese until you realise that they're owned by the same people of a previous club he's oh, been yeah. at in Watford. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited move for Davis. Actually, I'm really happy for him. Um, I have a bit of a you've got a soft spot for Davis, don't you? I do. Yeah, I, I don't know why. <laughs> I've I've just pulled up a stat here actually, which is a bizarre stat, and I don't know why I remember it. Back in 21, <laughs> 2021, sorry. Um, so Villa, hmm, <laughs> bear with me. So Villa had scored. So this was when Villa were trying to stay up in the league. Uh, mm-hmm. during Project Restart and then a bit after that because I never I don't think he quite got his chance and I know some Villa fans are so shut up like he doesn't score goals and he wasn't our level don't get me wrong Villa have progressed so far on that it's not a you know yeah. Davis was never going to get in but I just felt at the time he was a bit underrated or his contributions were sort of I don't want to say underrated I don't want this to get confused but right let me read the stats so Villa scored 16 goals during the 17 times Davis was afforded more than 20 minutes off the bench in his Villa career. That's good. Say that again. Right, so Keenan Davis has come off the bench 17 yeah. times for more than 20 minutes in his Villa career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which shows yeah. that he doesn't get much of a chance for more than 20 minutes. In those 17 times, Villa scored 16 goals. Okay, okay, yeah. So he makes a difference. 
comes off the like the West, yeah. you know, like the West Ham goal that kept kept us in the Premier League. Yeah. He comes on, we come on a couple of minutes before. Uh, gets involved with the play, holds the ball up, lays it off to McGinn, I think. McGinn gives it to Grealish, Grealish scores. I'm not saying that's like... An assist, but you just... He makes an impact. He's not one of the players who comes on and just doesn't do anything. Uh, that's what I'm trying yeah. to say. He doesn't score yeah. goals, but he makes a difference. He makes an impact. Seriously. There's a lot of players, there's a lot of worse strikers we'll have had than Keenan Davis, especially oh, when we're yeah. in that... Especially when that level, though. Again, I'm not... Villa have gone so far and beyond where they were... Davis isn't, you know, in the picture. We all know that. But I'm just saying that I think he deserves a bit more credit than what he got at the time in which Villa was struggling. And maybe it's because it was, we were struggling that you, he's going to get more critics mm. because he's not scoring and it's easy to kind of pick on him um, because of that reason. You need your strikers to get goals. And we were playing with like Samata and Baston. But he was effective in terms of helping the team. And that, for me, um, was something that was a bit overlooked. So, yeah, all the best to him. And I, I don't know this for sure, but maybe he's the player that they've replaced Beto with, who obviously went to Everton for 30 mil. So they've seen something in him as well. Yeah, well said. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you a little round of applause for that mo- monologue on Keenan Davis that I was not expecting you to go The amount of, the amount of people, I think we've got 300 people watching this at the moment. 258 of them are probably thinking, like, shut up, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the other 50 that are going fair play John they're the ones you've got to focus on um, let's talk about Coutinho then we're going to talk about Longley as well this episode is dragging on a little bit but there's absolutely loads to talk about which is why we're doing it live because yeah. by the time I'd have edited this we're past 11 o'clock and it's all probably out of date anyway Coutinho has been at the centre of a possible move to Saudi Arabia or Qatar for basically Qatar. the whole summer uh, yeah. it's now Qatar that is apparently um, agreed a, uh, a move for him or agreed personal terms or whatever it is in, in whatever amount of money it will end up being. Um, yep. Is this one do, that you think will go through tonight? Is the Qatar League's transfer window open for the next couple of weeks as well? Because if so, there's probably more yeah. chance of it happening. Yeah, there's 17 days left for the deal to get done. So, okay. um, But as far as we know, it could be done tonight because it's is it the final stage. Is it, it just, you know, it's the crossing of the T's, dotting of the I's sort of situation. Uh, Emery spoke with Coutinho early this summer, and this, is, uh, this isn't obviously something that he would have told us weeks ago because, um, well, you, you just wouldn't say it, but he mentioned that he said to Coutinho and they basically agreed that if a transfer suited all parties, so Villa and the player... Then he'd be allowed to leave, basically. So mm. he was. Which is um, fine. Yeah, I think it's a mutual thing. Listen, Coutinho, when he first joined us, was was remarkable. He was, he really was. He was Grealish for me. Was um, since you know following Villa and obviously had it quite rough when we well when we first started watching Villa after O'Neill, it's been you know pretty crap. So Grealish for me was the first player I really thought was uh, and Benteke, obviously, but like proper quality, like world-class quality, like he's got serious talent. And Coutinho was not so far um, away from that in those games that he first came in. He really was. He, mm, he was yeah. incredible. Seven goal contributions in eight games, I think it was, when he first came. Four in like two games or something. Um, but then two goal contributions in the 37 games that have just gone. So, yeah, that kind of paints the picture. I don't know where or how he fell off so much. To be honest with you, it might sound a bit rude, but it's true. He was so good when he first joined, and 17 million was almost a bit of a, you know, because at the end of that season, Wendy kind of, um, you know, people were asking, why is Gerard not playing Wendy and things like that? And 17 million mm. for Katina was, he was like, oh, I don't think it's a risk because we know he'll, you know, just contribute. And he, he didn't really do that last season, did he? I think it was one goal across the whole season in 20 appearances. So, yeah. Injuries, lack of match fitness as a result of that as well. Um, it's a shame, really. He's obviously 31 now, I think. Um, but he's off Villa's wage book now and there'll be a transfer fee involved as well. I'm not too sure how much it is, but hopefully we'll get that um, today. Yeah, I remember when he when he signed and we made quite a bit of a song and dance of it on the podcast on social media and kind of Carney Triple Maker had gone to Chelsea in the same window and he's like, oh, 20 million for Carney and he's never played and 17 million for Casino. Like, great business from, from Villa. What a great move that is. And at the time, it, it was that as much as Coutinho was on on high wages, comes in, as you said, and makes an impact straight away. And you think maybe Villa, Stephen Gerrard at the time, will be the guy to to rekindle his form. Mm. And obviously, it goes very wrong for Stephen Gerrard and also it's gone very wrong for, for Coutinho as well. Having said that, he has been had a couple of injuries which have troubled him as he's got slightly older. And yeah. this summer pre-season, I did think he'd actually not got back to his best, but he was showing signs this summer and in the in the game that he played. 
Everton possibly. I can't remember. He came on and did did okay. And he, he did a little couple of flicks and stuff. And you go, oh, there's, injured, there's, still a, there's still a player there. And then goes off injured again. Yeah, exactly. So his time at Villa is up. And if Villa can get him off the wage bill, that's massive. If there's a transfer yeah. fee, even if it's a few million, again, it's all very much welcome at this yeah. stage. Um, I suppose that opens then up the door to if Coutinho leaves, if Villa Jean leaves, Villa surely have to get a replacement in. And with time ticking that, yes, Coutinho could still complete a move in the next couple of weeks. Philogene, obviously, if he goes, has to be done tonight. If Villa were to bring somebody in, they've got four hours to do it. Time is against them. Yeah, that's the that's the issue now. We know that Villa have been working today to try and do that. Memory did say there's, no, there's not going to be any big surprises and we're not expecting and Villa won't be signing, uh, as far as I know. You never know. Um won't be you know, breaking transfer records or anything like that. But they have been working to try and get a body through the door that will add to Villa's squad because, as you say, Coutinho is gone. Emery said yesterday as well that Villa will be ready to act um, on that if something you know comes up and they can do it. So, as you say, Dan, time's ticking now. Maybe it's going to be a late one. We'll see. But I wouldn't expect it to be of any sort of... Um, you know, It's not going to be a big transfer... Uh, price tag or anything like that maybe a loan I don't know we're not sure but they are they've tried today basically to bring someone in after Coutinho well he hasn't gone yet but he's going to go isn't he Um, Mm. so we'll see what happens and yes you can make the argument that Philogene and Coutinho weren't going to play a huge part this season anyway so losing them is it a huge deal possibly not but I actually think it's more the Buendia injury I think that's kind of push them to maybe try and get someone in now because yes Zaniolo is coming but I think that was possibly just Monchi um, liking the player and adding another body to um, to the squad because of the amount of games that Villa are going to play but I do think Villa are going to miss Buendia this season uh, yes Ramsey's coming back but you do need that bit more and I don't think Coutinho was going to give that anyway if I'm honest because of those injuries and you weren't yeah, going to rely on him so I think the player who if they can get someone in that'll be um, to cover maybe Buendia rather than Coutinho. Coutinho was just going to go because it hasn't worked out over the last few months for him. But in terms of bodies, I suppose, that's Archer, Coutinho, Philogene, Buendia. I feel like there's one more off the top of my head but I can't think. Aaron Ramsey. Aaron Ramsey, yeah, I guess. There's one that, again, probably wouldn't have featured for us this year but would have been an option if he was still stuck around, I guess, especially in the Conference League. So you've got Archer and Diaby as your main two. You've got Zaniolo that can play at number 10, second striker role. I, I would expect him to if what he had to. What Diaby? What did I say? Uh, Archer, it's fine. Did I? Sorry, right. We are live. <laughs> Watkins and Diaby is your man too. Zaniolo could play that role if he had to. Leon Bailey could also play that second striker role if you had to. Um, Jacob Ramsey coming back isn't going to play a second striker, but he's a creative player going forward. Yeah, it's you've not got John McGinn as well. John McGinn can offer stuff. I think when Moreno comes back, I think you'll see Dean and Moreno playing the same side sometimes as well. Dean plays the left back and Moreno plays the role Matty Cash is playing, but on the opposite side. So there's quality in there. But if anything happens to Ollie Watkins, we are in serious doo-doo, aren't we? If Villa don't sign another body tonight. We are because he is our best number nine. Um, But I've said it before, I've just... Yeah, Villa could go out and or could have signed a more senior striker to John Duran. I take that point as a first. John Duran as well, I forgot about him. Yeah, but um, there isn't a team in world football, apart from maybe a couple, that wouldn't miss their Tottenham nine, especially if it's someone like Ollie Watkins. If Villa can't buy a striker that's as good as Ollie Watkins and sitting behind him, they just can't because Watkins is that good. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> like I don't... I get it. Villa wanna fans wanna you know get a striker and it's uh, you know a new shiny thing. I don't, I don't know, <laughs> but I just think Villa have got options. And if they, if they get an injury, then well, there's not much you can do about it. You can't stockpile three or four or five players and you know in certain positions and hope um, mm. sorry, and wait for one of them to get injured and then oh it's fine. You know Ming's getting injured. Yes, we've covered him with Longley, but that's because the opportunity was there to do so. Uh, if what Ollie Watkins gets injured, would Villa be able to loan in a striker that's nearly as good as him? Like, definitely not. They'd have to spend big money, and that obviously isn't in in the uh, in the plan to do so. So, yeah, Touchwood he doesn't get injured. Touchwood, uh, I mean Martinez doesn't get injured. Villa have had bad injury luck at the start of the season already. 
we don't want any more. Um, and the squad that we've got, I think, is probably as good as we could have it, to be honest with you. Again, mm. you're not going to have two top strikers in your squad at this stage of Villa's project. Maybe next summer, if we can get into the Europa League, things like that. Then, then you're yeah. looking and thinking, well, can we, you know, what can we do there? But for now, I think we're on a steady course. There's three comments here that I, I think are bang on, and we're going to, or four actually, that's just come in. I'll go the last one because I love the username. Mr. Cheesy Fi, which says we aren't going to get anyone better than Watkins. Chris Jones says we had a senior striker in Danny Ings, and then we didn't want him, which I think is yep. a very good point. Um, who's the other one? A Marine boy as well. I trust anything and everything Emery does 100%. Hang we on. keep saying that. that so you have to, point. you have yeah. to stick with that. Um, CC. Let's cross that bridge. If it happens without the Champions League, you aren't going to have a high-caliber striker on the bench. Again, spot on. And if Watkins doesn't get injured and scores 15 Premier League goals, this conversation is irrelevant. And like you said, if he does get injured, Diaby is the main man with McGinn as the number 10. Would probably work for five or six games if he absolutely had to. So, yeah. yeah. Let's just see where we are and hope that Watkins' body holds up for what would be the fifth or sixth season in a row because he just never gets injured. Touch wood really loudly so everyone else can hear it. Um, That does not happen. Right, we are heading to this podcast almost going to be hitting the hour mark by the time we play the Liverpool section at the end. We've got to talk about Longley very quickly, John. Somebody who has joined the club, our fifth summer signing, was confirmed this morning. Replacement for Ming's injury to a certain extent. Um... Offers decent attributes. I'm not really reading too much into his time at Tottenham last year because Tottenham are crap across the board, yeah. so it doesn't really matter. This is a player that's played for Sevilla and Barcelona. You don't play for those clubs if you're a bad player. You don't get a move to the Premier League under Unai Emery if you're a bad player. Um, how do you see him fitting in? Because we talk a lot about... Um, <laughs> a couple of comments have distracted me. Uh, we talk a lot about like how no player is a guaranteed starter. And there's no such thing as like a backup in a first team. But Longley, does Longley come in and, and get regular minutes, do you think? Or is he one that you look at and go, well, he is third choice or however many numbers it is, fourth choice? Yeah, and Emery kind of revealed that today anyway. He said that he's going to um, play on Torres's side. Torres okay. is going to play every game. So that yeah. almost confirms that he's going to play as a backup, which we knew anyway. But we need that. I'll be honest. I'm not sure why. Like we did these. Well, we've obviously done transfer shows, transfer shows since Ming has been injured, and for some reason, I don't know why. I haven't thought about we need depth there because he wants to play free at the back. We have three centre backs. Yeah, I don't know why we didn't think to. Kind we of, didn't think um, he was going to stick with three centre backs. Yeah. Did we? we? Thought that might have just been a one game thing. Oh, if you're playing Carlos Concer and Pau Torres every game, you've got Callum Chambers. Yeah, and you and he doesn't want to play Chambers at centre back as well. That's I know we did against Hibs, but. Said to me in America that um, he doesn't almost doesn't view him as a centre back. It's a right back or defensive midfield option for Chambers. Uh, yeah, he's going to be playing back up to Torres, but also if Carlos, you know, stubs his toe and can't play uh, against whoever, then Longley comes in and we can reshuffle the back back three, back four, whatever. It's just having options again. And Villa didn't have that before Longley came in uh, came through the door. Emery said about his experience obviously being important, as you said there, Dan, he, he's played for Sevilla, uh, Barcelona, 50 games in the Champions League. So he brings experience as well. Yes, he wasn't fantastic at Tottenham, but Hyung Min Sun wasn't fantastic at Tottenham last season. And I take exactly, him, yeah. you know what I mean? That team, that club underperformed last season. And I don't think that was the right environment for any footballer mm. to play their best football. And I think Villa is so we'll be seeing the best of Longley hopefully um when he does play and it's it, i think it's a shrewd addition a one year yeah, loan you yeah. can't go wrong with that obviously there'll be a loan fee and we're paying 75% of his wages but for a player of his quality a player of his, of his experience and his maturity as well and what he brings is what he's left footed he can play he can pass out from the back the 20 to 20 21 season i don't have the stats to hand but he he was uh, he figured really high uh in terms of the progressive passive numbers that Pau Torres puts up every season in La Liga. So, um, yeah, shrewd addition and one that we probably should have um, uh, sort of anticipated, I think. Yeah. Um, next week, we're going to do a video, and you might not be available for it, but the channel is going to do a video kind of assessing the transfer window as a whole. So if you are unavailable for that, I'll ask you very quickly now to end this podcast before we get into the Liverpool uh, opposition section. If Villa don't sign anyone else tonight, which is, is, frankly, that is possible. Um, how would you assess the transfer window? Would you be happy with it or would you be disappointed? Because I've seen a lot of comments on social media saying, well, oh, it's quite underwhelming, this this transfer window from Villa, which I think is, everyone's got their own opinion, but that's bonkers. 
It's been a very good window. <laughs> no, I, I think it's been as close to as, I don't want to say perfect window because you never know what that looks like. But yeah, I think it's been an excellent window. Really do. Hmm. To bring in someone of Musa Diaby's quality is, I did not expect that. I know um, when we tabled the bid, I didn't expect us to get it over the line because I just didn't think he'd, um, I think he'd wait for a Champions League club, uh, yeah, especially when the, Saudi, when the Saudis came in. Obviously, that was a, a different, uh, um, you know, feeling. But yeah, to get him through the door, he is top quality. Paul Torres will improve defensively, and for what he brings on the ball, we'll see that as the weeks go on. Like Alex Moreno, did he, you know, t- take a, take a few weeks to adapt? And again, he is a top quality player. Uh, and Villa have added strength and depth as well with Tielemans, with uh, Zaniolo. They've spent around 80 million. They haven't broke the bank. I know 80 million is a lot of money, but for a team that's chasing Champions League, it's not much at all. Those teams are spending more than 80 million on one player. Yeah. Um, Villa have also made money around 40 million if they can get Philidine off the books as well. And uh, uh, Davis made about 3 million. So buybacks on Archer, Ramsey. I think it's been a really good window and. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. Again, as you say, then everyone's got their opinion on it and opinions on the window. Yes, Villa might, um, you know, might have bought another striker for twenty twenty five million because they can. But why buy a player that might not fit exactly what Emery wants when next season that money that you would have spent otherwise will be um, put to greater use, basically? And this is a project Villa. Are, I don't want to say only in the Conference League, but they want to get to the Champions League. This is going to take a couple of years, at least. Um, we've come a long way in a short amount of time. In a short amount of time, sorry. And by every summer window, Villa will keep improving. And that's the key for me. Coming into this summer, it was, okay, how are we going to improve? Have we? Yes, we certainly have. Uh, the uh, losses of Mings and Wendy are unfortunate, and that's got nothing to do with transfers. You can't help that. Um, yeah. Villa, you can argue whether they're stronger or not because of those injuries, you know, but um, in terms of transfers, in terms of the additions and who we've sold, it was a net spend of like 40 million to bring in Diaby and Torres and Tielemans. Uh, I've missed one out, Zaniolo, Longley. Longley. Maybe another, it. who knows? Yeah, really good window. The only thing is that maybe another goalkeeper probably would have bought because um, I think that would have been quite you know low risk in terms of uh, a transfer fee or even a loan. But yeah, overall solid window. And by the way, Monchi coming through as well. Just yeah, as a little yeah. side note. Um, Again, top addition and someone who knows Emery very well and Damian Vidigani. So, yeah, structure's been improved a lot and hopefully we're on course for a really successful season. Like I said, we're going to do a full show on this next week, but the big thing for me, it's probably gone underrated this window and we, we I think we should definitely give it a bit of airtime. We've not lost a key first-team player to anybody. That's huge for a club that's, like you said, only in the Conference League. We have some players that are certainly capable of playing for Champions League clubs. So I know that Villa have sold some academy products to help with the books, but you could quite easily have seen that they go out on loan and we just sold Douglas Louise in years gone by for 50 million, 60 million, and that would have done the same job financially, but that would have left a huge hole in our, in our team. To have kept all those players, Martinez, Douglas Louise, John McGeehan, Ollie yeah, Watkins, Watkins, whoever, yeah. that's massive. That's a huge thing yeah. that's probably not been talked about enough. Yeah, yeah, and Emery kind of briefly mentioned it today in terms of uh, he said something like let me quickly have a look he's mentioned me that, um, don't we? We both say the same thing. <laughs> he just mentioned that we we hadn't lost the players who were so successful successful for us last season uh, hmm. and just like uh, Villa will like next summer presumably even in January I don't know there will be a time where those players attract serious interest and clubs will bid for them and they'll try and turn their heads and this is Villa fans we're not you know um we know what that's like, but because of what's been put in place behind the scenes and why Villa don't spend 30, 40 million pounds on other players in the squad that Emery probably doesn't really want, they're in a good enough place to command huge fees for these players. You know, you want Douglas Lewis, okay, we'll offer 60 million plus and other, you know, even if someone comes in for Moose the Diaby next year, what you're saying, like, I don't know, 75 mil, <laughs> because we can. If yeah. you want him, you pay the money. Um, and I'm not trying to sell those players, by the way, before the comments start saying so. It's just that those are the fees that are going to be banded about now. And yeah, if people Probably want so. the players, they're going to be huge, huge transfer fees. And you're going to you're going to have to um, work hard to get those deals over the line. And Villa will be in a really good place moving forward. And yeah, someone just said we have to be like Brighton. And it's that's what it is. It's being, um, it's being sensible in the market. It's knowing what you need rather than, what you want all the time, if that makes sense. It's working mm. within your own parameters and Villa will get to the Champions League at some point, I'm sure of it. They really will. It doesn't matter what those clubs do around us. If we do our own thing, 
and we box clever in the market and we use the fees that we recoup from these top players if they have to be sold in the coming years, then um, Villa will get to where they want to be, especially in someone like Unai Emery. Well, John, let's wrap this up then. We've approached 54 minutes, and I know that this Liverpool preview section with uh, the opposition side is 10 minutes long, so this video is a bumper edition of Inside Bodymore. We've spoken about a lot. If Villa do do anything else in the transfer window tonight, we won't jump back on and do another show. We've already done two episodes today, as is. The next show we do will be the post-match reaction on Sunday, um, and we'll talk about anything Villa do in the deadline to, to come in that show and obviously we're back on Monday as well uh, we'll hand over to Theo Squires and myself from yesterday uh, from the Blood Red podcast and the Liverpool Echo to get a bit more insight on what Liverpool will bring to the table on Sunday thanks for joining me how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Uh, I've been off for a couple of weeks. I've just come back in for deadline day tomorrow and all this uh, sort of transfer rush we've got at the end of the summer. So it's exciting times, isn't it? Both clubs. Yeah, straight into the deep end. I've got five questions for you today ahead of Liverpool versus Aston Villa at the weekend. Now, Liverpool are a very good side. It goes without saying. Who from the Liverpool side of things should Villa be worried about? Uh, I don't think it's as simple as stop one player, but... Because like Liverpool, they've showed such mentality since like, the start of the season. You think the last two games, they've had 10 men for so long and they've still found a way to win. And they've got a few good attacking players that are capable of getting them over the line here. Like Everyone knows how good Mohamed Salah is. You don't need to go into detail on him. But he's not exactly been the main goal scorer so far this season. He's been more of the creator. But if you put, say, two defenders on him and stopped him... Well, they'll just go down the other wing. They'll give it to Luis Diaz, or you've got Dominic Sabosla, who since he's come in from Leipzig, he's been such a good signing. Like, he's so good on the ball. Uh, he looks really suited to this midfield role, and it's almost like what Liverpool thought Naby Keita would be. You know, that player capable mm-hmm. of running at defenses. And considering they have had ten men for so long in these last two games, he's almost nullified that. He's not been that extra man in himself and his pressing and everything. He looks a real Jurgen Klopp player. But then just look at Darwin Nunes off the bench last week. He hadn't started yet this season. Comes on mm. for, what, 11 minutes, scores two goals and wins the game. Like Liverpool, despite the struggles last year, have got a lot of good individual players. Uh, offensively, you've got to stop a lot of them to stop Liverpool from scoring, especially at Anfield. But then, as you've said in your own preview, there are ways you can get Liverpool at the other side of the pitch. So you know, I couldn't tell you who would start in Liverpool's front three on Sunday because it is five really good attacking players. Expect him mm. to sign a couple of players in the transfer window and they've got the midfield options there as well. But the defence looks a bit lucky, so it can work both ways. Liverpool were, were mid-table halfway through the season last year. Uh, Klopp's going through a bit of a, a rebuilding phase. I think it's probably safe to say with the midfield losses of Fabinho and Henderson, which are probably a little bit surprising to, to some people possibly. What went wrong last season? I put that in air quotes for people who are only listening because you had a good end to the season and got yourselves up into the Europa League, which, I mean, Liverpool want to be in the Champions League and competing for titles, but from where you were to where you finished, you had a great end to the season. How will Liverpool be better for it this season compared to the troubles they had last year? They've taken the next step along. Like They were a side in transition last year and it didn't help that they got a lot of injuries early on right in pre-season. Mm. Um, when you have a mid-season World Cup, so everything was starting easier. They're playing catch-up. And it just said once the dice got rolling and everything was going wrong, it kept getting worse and worse. You'd get one player back and then someone else would get injured and you're having to rush players back. So they're having a shortage of options in midfield. And it just, it never gelled. Like from a team that had nearly won the quadruple the year before, it looked like a season too much for, say, Fabinho. Like his legs did start to go. He was struggling in that midfield. And there were just so many injuries that Liverpool looked stale at times. They lost that identity. They lost that ability to just run all day. And they did need mm. this fresh start now. Um, while you could easily say Fabinho and Henderson weren't part of Liverpool's long-term future, you still expected it to be more of a gradual phasing out period for like you can be an experienced squad player as mm. Curtis Jones starts more or we start a few more new signings. And then for them to just have be sold to Saudi Arabia, it's like the cart that's been pulled out from under their feet a little bit, having to get the new signings embedded in straight away. Yeah. And you go from there. Um, at least this um, season, they've had a full summer to work on the new formation that worked quite well towards the end of last season. It's not working so well so far this year. Um, they've been able to maybe get Trent Alexander-Arnold back into form a little bit. They've been able to get another year out of no, they've had a year with Darwin Nunes, so the front five can really gel and build these relationships. So it does look like a step in the right direction, but it's still a case of it's a very new midfield. Like the team that started against Newcastle, that was three new signings in midfield. If they sign, uh, say, Ryan Gravenberch on deadline day, you could make a case for a, 
in a new formation and being him going in as well. And it's another new mm. signing. So it's that there's teething problems there with players trying to come to terms with each other. It's like you have to take a step backwards to take two steps forward. So um, Liverpool certainly be stronger for it. I'd say March, April time, you know, when you've had that nearly a whole season with this new team building together. But at the moment, just because you've got a bit of mobility back in your side, it's still building those relationships and mm. not looking as weak because as much as Liverpool can be a match for anyone, score goals against anyone, it is just as easy to get at them at the moment as it is to stop them. Just to, as a kind of overarching uh, look at Villa, how do you rate the job that Emery's done so far in his, his what is it, almost a year? Yeah, it's not even a year yet that he's been at the club, which is remarkable, really. feels like he's been here a much longer time considering the job he's done. Yeah, he's done a, a great job. Like, obviously, there was that Liverpool perspective of when Steven Gerrard was in charge, you were looking at Villa, mm. you were wanting them to do well. And it didn't seem to quite click. It wasn't a, a nice, attractive style of football. I remember when they came to Anfield and lost 1-0, it was very defensive. Now, I wrote at the time, he's going to be a future Liverpool manager. This isn't how you want to play when you go into Anfield. Like you want him to be able to take them that next steps. And for whatever reason, Stephen Gerrard couldn't do that. But Emery, he's a very experienced manager. Who probably doesn't get quite the credit he deserves in England because of how his stint at Arsenal went. But he's showing mm. how good he is at Villa because that is such a, a turnaround there. He seems to really unified the camp and getting some really good results against big teams. And he's a manager Liverpool have um, cursed a few times in Europe over the years. I think he was in charge of uh, Seville in that Europa League final back in uh, 2016. He's just always seems to be on top of it when it comes to that sort of one-off game or two-legged games in Europe. And, and he has taken it a nice blend for Villa in the Premier League. He's signed some really good players like Diaby, who like like look of him. Watkins certainly seemed to find form again under him in the back end of last season. A side where you think, well, if he can carry on this progress, there's no reason why Villa aren't going to be in the, the conversation for European football again this season. Um, it's about getting that next step for them, isn't it? But mm. I like to think Liverpool and Anfield, it'll be too big a test for Aston Villa. We'll, we'll see. Mm, well, we've got we've got pace and attack. The midfield's kind of stepped up a level now. I think Douglas Luiz and Kamara as a pair look very good to Liverpool targets if uh, some of the papers <laughs> are to be believed, which isn't going to happen. Uh, and the defence as well has really adapted to this kind of new, well, I say new, we'll have done it since Henry came in, but this like playing out from the back, prog- progressive football, and Pau Torres, a new signing, very, very key to that. Where do Villa worry Liverpool from your point of view? The Van Dijk thing is something that fans will look at and think maybe Liverpool's defence won't be as solid as it possibly would have been with him. DRB with balls over the top, things like that. Can that, can that expose Liverpool's defence a little bit? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's that pace. Like Liverpool are very vulnerable if sides get in behind them. Mm. Uh, this new formation where it's uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold as the inverted fullback, as much as it worked last year, it's not quite working this year. And you could put that maybe down to the midfield personnel not being there yet. But when he moves central, Ibrahim Akate, who's probably not going to be available this weekend, he has to cover that right back position but then they have to swap back when sides are attacking against them so it's a case of the press Liverpool it's very easy to then hit them on the counter-attack when they've got mm. one less man in defence players running across each other's paths and you've got so much space in behind them there now everyone knows the abilities of Van Dijk and Canate and at least they've got that pace and that physicality to cover that ground as much as it's an intimidating prospect. Even like with a natural holding midfielder, it's an intimidating prospect. Never mind someone who's never played in the Premier League before at Endo trying to find his feet. So that, that that's why it'll be daunting if it's a, a Joe Gomez and a, a Joel Matip. Like Gomez, he came on and he did really well against Newcastle. He's, been quite poor since he um, suffered that horrible knee injury. One week we'll have a great game against, say, Man City when they've pulled one at Anfield last season, but then we'll just put in a few horror performances. And mm-hmm. The partnership with Matip wasn't at its best last year, I'm pretty sure. Um, they were the pairing when Liverpool got dismantled away at Wolves. This is one of the weaknesses in that Liverpool side there. These are these intimidating defenders. They are players that aren't playing in this formation week in, week out. So that's something that else is even more of a teething problem. Like you're not familiar with this new setup, which takes time to adapt to anyway. And while Gomez has at least got the pace to do the Canate role and covering the spaces, Joel Matip certainly doesn't. If you've got a quick wing and quick forwards, they get in behind the defence and then you're running up two against two. And we saw Isaac do that against Van Dijk and that's what led to Van Dijk's red card. It's been a recurring theme throughout pre-season Throughout the game so far against Chelsea and Bournemouth, it's how Bournemouth got their, their opening goal in the last game at Anfield and they were luck, unlucky not to be 2 3 up after 10 minutes. And with all due respect to Bournemouth, they're not 
Watkins. They're not Diaby. These are higher caliber attacking players. So mm. Villa play to their strengths. They can start well. They can cause Liverpool problems. I'm going to go with plenty of goals is my score prediction. I'm not going to give a, a proper number just yet because we do that in the, the, the end of the show. <laughs> um, but I'll ask you to end this section with your score prediction. How do you see it going on Sunday? Just because it's at Anfield, uh, I'll be a bit optimistic, I suppose, from a Liverpool point of view. You'd like to think they're going to win at home. Let's go for a 3-2 Liverpool. Mm. I expect goals as well. Theo, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and all the best for Sunday. Thanks again to Theo from the Blood Red podcast for joining us and giving us the view on the opposition. John, thank you for joining me for this very special episode of Inside Bodymore. We'll be back on Sunday for the post-match reaction and me and Matt Kendrick are hosting the Monday show on Monday because, John, you're moving house.